a lot of times in the past couple of years where I felt like I didn't have like, it wasn't like a clear defined attack in the red zone or like a plan for me specifically. I felt like it was just kind of like, what am I doing sometimes? But now I kind of feel like that's something that's in place with Josh and developing just off of this off season alone. So it's kind of asking him about how did your role in the red zone come about? That's a big thing. Like, yeah. like for me, like there's no reason why my big ass shouldn't be, you know, oh yeah, but I'm dominating in the red zone at yeah. all times, you know. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. That was Darren Waller on the Bussin' with the Boys podcast, talking about the red zone. And obviously, the Raiders for two seasons struggled uh, with red zone efficiency under John Gruden. Uh, but now we've got Josh McDaniels and Darren Waller seems to think that that is not going to be as big of an issue because now they apparently have a plan in place, which will be interesting to see. Um, I would like to point out one thing. When Darren Waller was last healthy for a full season, uh, he had the second most targets in the red zone in the entire NFL. Uh, not just among tight ends, but the entire NFL. The only guy that was ahead of him was Devontae Adams that year, by the way. Um, was that an unnecessary shot at John Gruden or a reasonable shot given how bad they were in the red zone for the last two seasons? Oh, all shots at John Gruden are reasonable considering <laughs> the way John Gruden left and the things he said about people who are similar to Darren Waller. He can take whatever shot he wants. Uh, when it comes to strategy, we know what we think about John Gruden's red zone strategy, it ended up with too many field goals for the Raiders, right? Nobody kicked more field goals inside the 20-yard line than Daniel Carlson while John Gruden was the coach of the Raiders. So is it unreasonable? No, not necessarily. But I also don't know that it's going to change because of the guy that you just brought in because Devontae Adams has been one of the most targeted receivers in the red zone consistently year after year. In fact, last year, 28 red zone targets for Devontae Adams, which was only surpassed by a handful of players. Yeah, and uh, Hunter Renfro also. Granted, Darren Waller was out, and there wasn't uh, anybody else to get targets, but Hunter Renfro was top 10 last year with 23 red zone targets as well, which, by the way, regardless of who the coach is, simply bringing in Devontae Adams and then potentially having a healthy Darren Waller this team should be good in the red zone. Like, it's hard to really envision why they wouldn't be good in the red zone given the targets that Derek Carr is going to have once they get inside the 10. Unless, and this is the this is the part I don't have an answer to, unless there's a Derek Carr problem. I don't know if there's a Derek Carr problem, but maybe there's a Derek Carr problem once you get closer to the end zone. Like, maybe that's some of the issue. But given the weapons, they should be great in the red zone. What I think the shot really is, Tyler, is not at Derek Carr. I don't think there's a Derek Carr problem. I think Derek Carr in the red zone is going to be just fine. There's not necessarily a problem with targeting Darren Waller specifically. The problem, and I think this is what Darren Waller was getting at, was that they ran too damn often in the red zone, right? <laughs> if we're talking about red zone targets and we're talking about Adams and Renfro and Waller, then what you're saying is we need to throw the ball more. And with John Gruden, what you got far too often was Jacobs for one, Jacobs for three, third and six. And that's the problem that I think the Josh McDaniels hopefully can solve for the Raiders. Yeah, and I, you go into this year, we've talked a lot about the offensive line being an issue. We'll see how the run blocking actually is once we get into the season. It looked pretty good against the Jags, not first-team defense, but 
in the actual season. We'll see how the run game looks. I think there's all the reason for McDaniels to throw it, right? I mean, we talk about can they get the ball out quick and all that to sort of hide the offensive line. That's the perfect place to do that. I mean, you, you need to get the ball out quick anyways. You've got two guys that are great at short, quick routes when they get inside whatever, the five-yard line or something like that in uh, Waller and Adams, or excuse me, Renfro and Adams. Like, there's every reason for them to get inside the red zone and, like, never run the ball. Like, okay, maybe on the actual goal line, but I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be that mad if their, like, run pass splits inside the red zone are ridiculously heavy towards the pass. And if they were using play action, right? That's another way that you can get some free help in that area, right? You want to be able to get linebackers closer to the line, safeties closer to the line, and be able to have more room to operate behind them, which is what a guy like Devontae Adams can do. And what it also is going to do is create more opportunities for Darren Waller to be one-on-one in those situations, which that is exactly what he's talking about with his, quote, big ass, end quote. (laughs) Uh, So on the field goals part of this, is there anything we've seen or you've seen to suggest that he'll be, that McDaniels will be uh, as cautious as Gruden was on fourth downs and kick it? Like, do we have any idea of what McDaniels is actually going to do here? No, and I also very specifically don't think it's worth looking at the Denver numbers because you know, different situation, uh, you know, different setup with Denver and the altitude and everything. I don't know that I necessarily want to get into looking at that Um Belichick, though, has not always been the most progressive when it comes to going on fourth downs and when it comes to, you know, making those types of decisions. So I don't know that we can take a lot from that either. Yeah, I I don't. Yeah, I haven't really seen anybody talk about it. There's been nothing that I've seen too much into other than Belichick has had a couple of years now where he has been. He's he's usually been one of the worst, actually. Right. He's been down there with like Gruden in terms of lack of aggressiveness on fourth and short and punting it away or kicking the field goal, depending on where they are. So, but, but right. You, you brought this up earlier in the week and, and I thought it was one of the, the better points about trying to figure out what the Raiders are going to be and what Josh McDaniels is going to be. Like, how much do you believe he, it is Patriots West and he's going to operate like Bill Belichick and how much do you believe he's going to blaze his own trail? Obviously there'll be a combination of both. You're going to see a lot of Patriots related stuff or similar to what the Patriots do, but it's hard to really pinpoint which parts of the game, which parts of coaching is going to be, oh, that's just like Belichick and the Patriots versus, oh, that's nothing at all like the Patriots. That's something Josh McDaniels would prefer to do a different way. So let me make a comparison here. I have an ex whose mother desperately wanted this is going to be fun to be just like her, right? Like the mother, I think in some ways was jealous of the daughter and would look at her and be like, Oh, yeah. Oh, when you do that, oh, that's exactly how I used to do it, right? And so I think we all get into this where we watch things that happen with McDaniels and we're like, we're looking for the ways that it's going to be the Patriot way. We want it to fit into that narrative. So when we see Josh Jacobs getting a full quarter worth of run in a preseason game, we're like, yep, Patriot way. All the running backs are out there. Even they use four different guys. And how many times have my fantasy team has been screwed by not knowing which Patriots running back it's going to be this week. So I think we as media need to be careful as well about how much we get into fitting the things that McDaniels does into Belichick system or the Patriot way. Yeah, I mean, in reality, we need like seven weeks of this season to go by so we can be like, oh, this is how Josh McDaniels does things. And it's not always just that. Yeah, well, he did this. How does that compare to what Bill Belichick did? Um, one other thing on Darren Waller, 
Uh, he was at the Aces game again last night. Um, Paul Gutierrez tweeted this out. Caught up briefly with Raiders tight end Darren Waller at the Aces game. Sounds like he should return to practice next week. We earlier in the week sort of had the agreement that if he was holding in, if there was a contract issue, we almost 100% would have heard that. It would have been reported somewhere because Darren Waller and his agent would have wanted that information out publicly to put pressure on the Raiders. And this would seemingly confirm that it's more injury or maybe not even necessarily injury, maybe a convenient or a sort of a rest week or two weeks. But like this seems like it's much more injury related or rest related than simply Darren Waller and a contract dispute. Well, I think the news here, Tyler, is that if you see Darren Waller out at an Aces game, we're probably going to remove the potential personal reasons from what could be keeping him out, right? If he were off dealing with a family emergency or something yeah. like that, then we probably wouldn't see him in an Aces game. Yeah. Um, by the way, we talked about Mark Davis. Uh, if you're Darren Waller, you should be at the Aces game on Sunday, not at the Raiders game. You're making some assumptions here, sir, aren't you? I am making some assumptions, aided by Willie Ramirez. Uh, Darren Waller should be at the Aces game. If you're dating Kelsey Plum, they're playing for the one seed. You're not playing on Sunday. You don't need to watch Jarrett Stidham throw to Foster Morrow. Like, you don't need to see that. Just go to the Aces game. It's going to be more fun. And if I if I was Mark Davis, I would require whoever wasn't playing in the preseason game to be at the Aces game. If I were Darren Waller, what I would do is treat it like a Major League Baseball pitcher does with a spring training start. Like, if you're going to be at the game, show up in your uniform or show up on the sideline for just long enough that everybody knows you're there. And then in a spring training, if you don't know this, pitchers will do their two innings, and they're on the golf course by the seventh inning of that game. So Darren Waller should go to the Aces game, but he should go incognito, right, as much as a man of Darren Waller's size can go incognito. Just sit a little higher up in the stands and, uh, you know, don't have the cameras on you. Not the courtside seat next to the opponent's bench that you see every time the camera pans down the court? I know. I know. Aces marketing <laughs> won't be happy with me. Which, okay, th this is another key question I have. Darren Waller, his seats at Aces games, they're courtside, but they're in, like, those four seats that are between the opponent's bench and the scorer's table. They're always... They always seem like the most awkward seats. You see them in NBA games all the time. The Aces have some on both sides. They always seem like the most awkward seats. If you're Darren Waller, is that where you want to sit? Like, I'm assuming it is, but, like, is that where he should want to sit during games? Absolutely, it's where he should want to sit. What he should be doing is listening to every huddle in every timeout and <laughs> passing that information along to Kelsey Plum as quickly as possible. <laughs> Okay, I, I enjoy the espionage version of Darren Waller sitting next to the opponent's bench. Okay, I can I can get behind that, obviously. Do you think, does he need a, uh, like, Kelsey Plum's got to pull the Rodolfo Garcia and have the cell phone, like, on her in the huddle so that he can text her what's happening? No, I think what they should do is it should be like, remember Doug Christie, when every time he scored he would make a gesture that his wife would know meant I love you? Like that Darren Waller should have some little gestures that just look like, hey, babe, I see you out there. Right. Like pointed or something like that or you pound the chest or something like that. But they should know that every one of them means something different. Right. If the team's going zone on the next possession. Right. He should just be able to like do a little wave or something like that. And that tells the aces. I think this is great. I think this is how you win a championship. And Tyler. Of all people, you should be the one oh, behind this. 100%. You are you oh, yeah. are the one who has advocated oh, for yeah. more and better cheating as an Astros yes. fan. Absolutely. And so basically, 
Kelsey Plum needs to be wearing a buzzer is where we're going with this. Yes, it's going to be a yeah. little more difficult under a basketball uniform than it is under a baseball jersey. But if they're really committed to winning, this has to happen. <laughs> uh, I do enjoy that Darren Waller might be putting more effort into his plan to steal opposing team's huddle information than he thinks John Gruden put into their red zone preparation. Well, I think his big ass could do that very well. All right, coming up next, it's Candy's Chonies. Candy's Chonies. Eh, nobody cares about that. It's not a big deal. Guys. It is a massive deal. How do you not understand this? Hundreds of corporations have been hacked in the last few years, and no one gave it. Name one. Equifax. Candy's Chonies. Name another. Target. Candy's Chonies. Name another one. PlayStation. Name one more. Yahoo. Another. Marriott. One more. eBay, Uber, Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Home Depot, Facebook. God damn it. Candy's Chonies. Fine, we get UPS, it. Chase Bank, Tumblr, LinkedIn. People don't care about privacy. What they care about is a good story. I'm always excited to dive headfirst into Candy's Chonies. What do you got for me today, Adam? Be careful going headfirst. You never know what you might bump into in Candy's Chonies. Um, proceed with caution, as always. When you go into Candy's Chonies, you'll find many interesting things, but the one we're going to focus on today, the numbers that I'm going to pull out, that Tyler is going to have to figure out what I'm talking about when it comes to each of these numbers. Uh, so let me... Okay, all right. Scooped out the first one. Uh, your first number today, Tyler, is 17,000. 17,000. 17,000. Um, all right. For some reason, my first thought was that's an attendance number. It is a number of people. It is okay. a number of people. It comes from college football. 17,000 in college football. Uh, okay, I'm going to need more. It I comes guess. from the SEC. From the SEC, 17,000. What? That's not. That seems like a small number for an attendance of something. It's too small to be in attendance. But now I'm gonna. I might have to embarrass you a little bit. This comes from Old Miss. Okay, I am. I might be a little embarrassed. Seventeen thousand. I. I don't. I don't know. Old Miss football. Seventeen thousand. Old Miss I'm, football. Seventeen thousand. You're on the right track here. Yeah. Okay. Is I'm gonna this give like you, number ahead. of retweets on a Lane Kiffin tweet? Okay. It does have to do with Lane Kiffin, and it does have to do with Twitter. Okay, what he's got more than seventeen thousand. Okay, followers, here we go. He? Currently, this being has more Twitter followers than every Rebels player except running back Zach Evans. Seventeen thousand is the number of Twitter oh, followers dog. that Juice, the yeah, five-month-old Golden English Lab, has on Twitter. <laughs> Lane Kiffin's dog has seventeen thousand followers on Twitter. Uh, Lane Kiffin's dog is allowed to run around Ole Miss practices with a GoPro strapped to his back. Uh, Lane Kiffin's dog has been biting players in meetings. Uh, according to Jackson Dart, quote, trying to watch film and having a dog bite on your shirt or trying to eat your food. That's something I don't think you can get anywhere else. On August 1st, Juice started a training camp of his own. He enrolled at Wild Rose Kennel. For obedience training, uh, receiver Jordan Watkins said he remembers Juice following Kiffin around and biting at the coach's ankles before an OTA when Juice was a puppy. Yeah, no, Juice is great. Um, one of the better Twitter followers. I wonder what his NIL deals are going to be this year. 
I also am of the strong belief that every sports team should adopt a dog. Like there should be a team dog that hangs out in the locker room or clubhouse. Hell, hockey teams do it and let the dogs go out on the ice. So if the hockey teams can do it with ice, any sport that has like an outdoor field of grass, every baseball team should have a dog. There should be a dog in every clubhouse on every field in Major League Baseball. Lane Kiffin, being a college football coach, found a way to bring this back to college football. He talks about, we're bringing him in all of a sudden. He's around the other dogs. Now, well, he's trained has a lot to do with how he does around the other dogs and him not being distracted. Talking about his uh, obedience training. I was like, you guys are going through the same thing we're going through. When you bring people in your organization, transfers in, getting them to buy in. Here's the puppy he's bringing in with all the other dogs who've been trained the whole time and he's not listening. I feel like that's kind of similar to our transfers. Oh, coaches are the worst, aren't they? Like just taking random stuff from life and being like, I'm going to apply this to football. Just let it be. It's a dog and he's a great <laughs> dog. And both Tyler and I have dogs, but come on. It doesn't all need to be about football. Also, I, I don't know that he's necessarily complaining about the transfers, but any complaints that Nick or that uh, Lane Kiffin has about transfers he kind of invalidated because I think Ole Miss has like the second or third most transfers on their roster this season. Like he did that to himself. Yeah, uh, you don't hear uh, Nick Saban talk about that one, do you? Uh, next number for you, Tyler. Back into the Chonies. Okay, all right. Whew. Feels good to get these things out of there. Um, your number is one hundred thirty-six. One. 136. 136. Right. It is a baseball number. 136 comes from baseball. All right. I am going to guess that that is Jose Altuve's OPS plus. Okay. That is a reasonable guess. It, of course, is an Astros number. You knew I was going to make it an Astros number. Uh, related numbers to this 136 are 1.85. Is that Verlander's ERA at the moment? That is Verlander's ERA at the moment. So what's the 136? 136. Has he thrown 136 innings? Justin Verlander has thrown 136 innings this year. Why is that a significant number? According to the uh, Tommy John Surgery Database, uh, kept online by, I'm going to say this name incorrectly, sorry, John, uh, John Rogley, uh, there are only 12 other pitchers who have undergone the surgery at age 36 or older, like Justin Verlander. And not counting Arthur Rhodes, who was a reliever and came back to throw 176 innings after having the surgery at 37, Justin Verlander had the surgery at 37 and has already thrown 136 innings. You have to go down to Bronson Arroyo <laughs> back in 2017, <laughs> throwing 71 innings at the age of 37 to find another starting pitcher has thrown that many innings coming back but my favorite number on this entire list is jamie moyer at the oh. age of 47 <laughs> throwing another 53 innings after tommy john surgery it's amazing <laughs> so okay help me out here am i just a homer for thinking that justin verlander is gonna tom brady this and it's gonna not make sense but yeah he's perfectly fine well, I think that Ju that Justin Verlander is totally fine. In fact, I'm in a uh, I'm in a fantasy baseball keeper league, in which I drafted Justin Verlander for a dollar last year, 
and held him on my DL all year long and kept him this year because I was that confident he was going to come back and be the guy that he's been. Uh, it really is remarkable. I mean, we're not talking about it enough. 1.85 ERA for a guy who's 37 years old and has been the ace of the staff for the best team in the league. Yeah, I mean, he's, if it happened, if it ended today, he'd probably win the Cy Young. So he's got yes. a legit, real shot to win it as long as, you know, his arm doesn't fall off, as you're saying, is possible here. But yeah, it's he's been unbelievable. Like it's it's basically the Justin Verlander they traded for in 17 and had in 18 and 19, who was a Cy Young level pitcher for two and a half seasons. And oh, he just missed two years, had Tommy John, and he's the same guy. It's great. Okay. Um, sometimes I like to have more than one person in my chonies Uh-oh. at the same time. So this one's for Danny. Uh, Danny, your number is eight. It comes from professional football. Do you know what I'm referring to when I talk about eight? It's the number of players who've done something. No, I don't. You have no idea. Okay. All right. That that was not a guess that inspires confidence that you're going <laughs> to run this one up the flagpole with me. Um, it is the number of quarterbacks who've done something. Eight have done this all time. The last time it happened was 2015. Okay. Okay. That's good radio. So, uh, it's got nothing. <laughs> eight. Uh, I'll just go ahead with this number, Tyler. Unless, Tyler, do you want to play? Uh, number of quarterbacks throw seven touchdowns in a game? See, Danny, it can I, be easy. I was going It can be there. easy. I was, I, I seriously was thinking that, but no, I was I'm like, sure you were, but you didn't say it number. out loud. Can't give you I credit for that. This is a radio program. Yep. Uh, eight is the number of quarterbacks who have thrown seven touchdowns in a single game. Do you know any of the quarterbacks on the list, either of you? Uh, Foles did it, right? Believe it or not, Nick Foles did it against the Raiders in 2013. Nick Foles threw seven touchdown passes. He is the only currently active quarterback who has thrown seven touchdown passes in a game. Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, and now it's going to get interesting because we have a gap of, I believe, 34, no, 44 years uh, from when it had been done previously. Uh, Joe Cap, Y.A. Tittle, George Blanda, Adrian Burke, and Sid Luckman. Great quarterbacks there. Y. Yeah, Patrick, Patrick Mahomes has thrown six twice. Aaron Rodgers has thrown six twice. Tom Brady has thrown six twice. So what you're saying is there's a chance. Exactly, Danny. Wait, Danny, hold on. To go back to this stupid bet you wouldn't stop talking about. Uh, it's it a great exactly, bet. Is it exactly seven touchdowns? No, it's at least seven touchdowns. Okay. And I also confirmed that there was no option to take no teams. <laughs> so if no teams do it, then I will get my money back. I'm glad you confirmed that after placing the bet. Absolutely. That's it. That's all, I got. all the numbers you got. That's all. That's all the numbers in my chonies, and and frankly, when I do my uh, when I do my candies chonies on a Friday, I try not to steal any time from Cassie Soto. Okay. Well, I'm gonna quickly before we go yell about something. Um, I'll give you some numbers: 58 and 108. You don't have to guess what they are. Uh, that's the OPS plus of Mauricio Dubon at 58 and Chaz McCormick at 108. Uh, that's a significant difference. 100 is average in baseball, which means McCormick is slightly above average, and Dubon is awful at the plate. Dusty Baker yesterday, when asked about why he keeps playing Mauricio Dubon in center field over Chaz McCormick, said that, well, when Justin Verlander is pitching, it is to, quote, stop them from going first to third because it's going to be a low-scoring game. 
Dusty Baker continuing to make it up on the fly, and yet everyone loves Dusty so much that no one's going to drag that except you. <laughs> it's so bad. And the problem is, Chas McCormick ranks as a better outfield defender than Mauricio Dubon, and two days ago, threw somebody out at the plate from left field. Like, it's not like he's the worst defender on the planet. The guy's actually really good defensively. Might be better than Dubon. I would not mind if Dusty just said, I like the name Mauricio more than Chaz. <laughs> Coming up next, Cassie Soto joins the show. She is a used Honda Civic, hates 50% of her dogs, and will never get engaged. Time to mock Raiders.com's Cassie Soto on the press box. Good morning, Cassie. Are you at Raiders practice today? No, I'm on my way to go get an oil change. Oh, that's no fun. An oil yeah, your, not at all. In your old Honda Civic? Yeah. In the old oh. Honda Civic. Yeah, only two of those three things are true now in that intro. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Cassie was the old Honda Civic. I'm no, just the, the not engaged yeah. part. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know, I know. But you don't drive the old Honda Civic. You are the old Honda Civic. I, oh, yes, I am the old Honda yeah, Civic. That's what it is. Um, by the way, we've had, a, we've had the same question from one of our listeners, Fernando, a couple of weeks now. He really wants to know, uh, both from me and you, what our wedding songs are. What do you mean? I'm assuming he means, like, first dance, but he just keeps saying wedding songs. Oh, first dance songs? We have, like, five that what? we're trying to narrow it down oh, to. okay, okay. So you've actually put I in some about, effort into this. I have eight more years to figure it out, so we're fine. Eight? I thought you had a date, and it was, like, a year from now. It feels really far still, so but it's not. It's I want to Well, wait, hold on a second. Before, before Tyler answers, why have you two not gone in together on this? <laughs> why are you not having a joint wedding? <laughs> we, this we feels too easy. At one point. We talked about this at one point. It was, uh, what was it? The Red Rock was like $70,000 or something like that? Yeah, something crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we talked about it at one point, but no, it's not happening. Cassie can't even get it together. Like, there's no way we could plan a wedding with her. I've done more planning in my weddings in two years, not one year. Okay, so bigger and better question here, and this relates to the Raiders, and we're gonna we're gonna put Cassie in the shoes of Darren Waller here. Okay, so if you potentially had to play in a preseason football game. Or maybe you weren't going to play. I don't know. You had to beat a preseason football game. But your significant other were playing in a playoff game. Where would you be? Uh, if I don't have a contract yet, I'm sitting courtside. Yeah. <laughs> get the bag. You heard it first from Cassie Soto. Darren Waller has to get the bag or else he's going to the Aces game. He is going to use his relationship in contract negotiation, saying, I got better things to do than show up to these preseason games. You better pay me some more. Yeah, no chance. No chance I'm risking injury without any guaranteed money. <laughs> uh, if you're Mark Davis, are you going to the Aces game or the Raiders game on Sunday? I mean, he can do both. Kind of. I mean, he's going to miss the, ha the first half of the Raiders game. He could watch the full Aces game and see how that turns out, and still get and still like see the Raiders game finish. Yeah, but like finish. Yeah, whatever. You're gonna see Nick Mullins throw like four passes <laughs> in the fourth quarter. Like whatever. Don't need to watch that. 
He should be at think, the Aces yeah. game, and if they clinch the one seed, he should not go to the Raiders game. He should spend the rest of the day celebrating with the Aces. Yeah, I don't think anyone would would be mad at him for that. Yeah, you're right. Or he, bring, he or he brings the whole team over to the Raiders game, and will it be over by like half? It should be over by like halftime, right? Yeah, and they do like then. a like an impromptu ceremony during well, during halftime. If you clench the one seed, do you really want to have to go watch Nick Mullins throw passes in the second <laughs> half? I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've walked through that club level area, and that'd be a fun <laughs> place to party. They'll probably like block off the the end zone. That'd be a party. Okay, I, I do have another important question for you. Uh, I saw some tweets about this. You're going to have to walk us through the entire scenario here. Uh, fighting an alligator or a python, why was this being discussed? Okay, so did you guys see that video like three or four days ago or whatever day that tweet was at of three kids rescuing their dog from a, a boa constrictor? Uh, it was no, all over did Twitter. Not. Did you see that video? I did not see that. I saw so, it. Like, it was the, wild. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's probably like what? It's bigger than a Jack Russell. It was like a medium sized dog. I couldn't tell you the breed. But the lower half of the dog's body completely constricted by this, like, three or four coils this boa had around the dog. And the kids are, like, hitting it with sticks and are trying to lift it off. And the the kind person that's recording and not helping is getting it all on video, of course. So the kids are from, like, 8 years old to, like, 14 years old trying to release their dog from from a boa. So we started talking. Adam and I, of course, were like, oh, that boa's dead if it has our dog. Like, no chance, right? He's protecting Baron. I'm protecting Archie and Lucy and, and Champ. They'll they'll have to fend for themselves. We'll figure it out. But anyway, Baron and Archie are getting saved. So then Case was like, "Yeah, no, like respect to the dog, but I'm not fighting a boa." And we're like, "What? It's a snake! Like you, you'd be able, you know, you could fend off a snake pretty well." He's like, "Nah, I like my chances better with an alligator. If my dog was was somehow being attacked by an alligator, this is Case Keeper." saying that he'd rather fight off an alligator than a boa to save an animal. Okay, all right. I I am watching the video now. I think the key here is that there are, like, three kids doing this. And the first thing you see is a kid with, I think, a baseball bat just bludgeon the snake over the head, which is is the key here. You got to, the first person's got to take the head out, and then everybody else can go to work on the snake. The problem is, like, if the alligator, like, the snake had already started attacking the dog. If the alligator has already started attacking your dog, your dog is dead. One bite. One bite most dogs are done for. Yeah. So, okay. In the scenario where the animal has already started attacking, obviously you're going after the snake, not the alligator. But if it's, like, preemptive, like, oh, you see it? And it hasn't attacked yet. I think I'd prefer it to be an alligator than a snake because I think I'd no be chance, no better. way. I think I'd be more, especially if I'm alone. If it's just me, I don't know that I'm. A snake's going to get me too. But an alligator's so, only getting one of us. The best part of it, the best part of Chase's argument was that he said, "Yeah, if it's an alligator, you just you just punch it in the nose." And I'm like, "Oh, really, Case? That's all you do with an alligator? Just tap it in the nose and it'll go away?" Wait a minute. So. I'm going to ha- I mean, Case is from Georgia, so this is potentially within the range of things that he has experienced. <laughs> but we know that Tyler is bas- Tyler basically grew up in a menagerie in, in Mississippi. <laughs> and so I think we have to trust his opinion here because he's going to have to answer the other question. 
Why was this dog within range of a boa constrictor in the first place? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I, I can't say it, where I grew up in Mississippi was a round, around a big man-made reservoir. And people that lived on the reservoir regularly had alligators. And people would regularly have dogs disappear, most likely because of an alligator. So this is actually not that uncommon of a situation. For people that live in Mississippi, we didn't actually live on the reservoir. I never fought off an alligator for my dog, but like, as long as it hasn't already bitten you, I, you can probably scare off an alligator relatively easy. Like, case I'm not walking up and just smacking it on the face, like it, it's probably gonna bite me. But you can you can scare off an alligator, I think, a lot easier than you can scare off a uh, snake. Again, if I'm by myself, if there's multiple people, then I got one guy to just bludgeon the snake's head. Then yeah, I feel pretty comfortable with the snake. I would go so so hooked on that snake. I would like do because you know when you're like when you're pumped, you get ridiculous amounts of adrenaline, right? And you just like can lift cars. I would rip the jaws off of that boa, like completely just rip the snake in half if it got if it had coiled my dog. I think the other the other problem is I said if an alligator attacked your dog, your dog's already dead before you can do anything. Like you said, this is sort of a medium sized dog. Like I've got a twelve pound Shih Tzu, you've got Archie. Like I think yeah. our dogs are probably dead as soon as the snake wraps around our dog. You know what's the best part of the entire video though? How calm the dog is the entire oh, time. Like nothing's happening. Like, like what's this happening. weird blanket? He's just like, just getting a hug from my pal. What, what's the dog going to do? I mean, the dog has kind of accepted fate at that point. The food chain has taken its course, right? Like, the dog's like, ah, it's been a good run. I, I've enjoyed it, but I, I don't think I'm winning this one. He's just, he just like, if it happens, if, if I die, I die kind of thing. Yeah, no, he, tr it, he trusts the people with bats that are just swinging at the python. They, right. They're good. I have... I have a 50-pound Australian Shepherd. What, how do you think he'd do? Oh, he'd be good, I think. If you had, if you'd it have was plenty the, of time. You'd, that yeah. could be like four or five coils probably yeah, before yeah. You'd, you'd be in some trouble. Yeah, I feel like I, I would want to negotiate with my dog as well and be like, hey, <laughs> so uh, if I do this, are we going to stop with the waking me up at four in the morning to go to the bathroom? Because like, <laughs> I feel like we both have something to gain here. I actually think this would, this would happen at 4 a.m. when you let him out to go to the bathroom. Yes, with the with the boa constrictor I keep in my backyard. Yes. So okay, Cassie, at the end of this, the, the very end of this video, you just see one of the kids just holding the snake by the head. Like, yeah, it's it's a pretty heavy snake, so I don't know how easy this would be. But like, are you launching that thing into the woods, or are you chopping its head off? So you know what? So I showed the video to to Estris, the fiance, of course, and we had this whole discussion. He says. <laughs> I save Archie, you know, that the bow is dead. I'm going to make a collar, like a snakeskin <laughs> collar for Archie. Like, take that, snake. So that's, that's what's good. happening. We're making him little snakeskin boots, snakeskin collar, snakeskin leash. So so everybody knows Archie. Archie can fend off a snake. I should, by the way, I should also let you guys know. Granted, it wasn't this 10-foot python or whatever the hell this is that was wrapped around the dog. But when I went and saw my mom two weeks ago in Mississippi, the first time we get to my mom's house, she's like, oh, yeah, there's a dead snake over here if you guys want to see it. And it was like a four-foot-long <laughs> snake, but it was still a four-foot-long snake that she had just chopped its head off with a shovel and kept going about her day. And she just left it there? 
Yeah, because she she was uh, wanting my brother's kids. She knew they would want to see it, so she left it there until they got to see it. <laughs> did did, did oh, I hear wow. somewhere in there chop the head off with a shovel? Oh yeah, that's 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 what you do. Yeah. Oh yes, it's what you do. Yeah, I mean you you know I guess if you walk around with like a an axe that might be better, but the shovel's a little more accessible. You just walk up and it's got to be the shovel with like the pointy end. You know, there's flat shovels that are better for like scooping stuff off the ground. Right. You need the pointy end ones. And then you just chop their heads right off. How? Did they get any of her chickens? Uh, I don't think so. However, the next day there was a dead chicken. So oh, no. how I don't long, know how that chicken died. How long was the snake sitting there before your nieces and nephews showed up? Like, was it there a few days or the day before? I don't, I don't know how long it was there before I got there. But it was only there for less, it was there for less than 24 hours after I got there. So she might have killed it and left it there for a week. I have no idea. But... <laughs> That wouldn't be the weirdest thing she's done either. So, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Snake's, snake's not, I don't This snake's a little big. You probably are going to struggle chopping its head off with a shovel. You're going to need a couple swings at it. Oh, you go grab an axe it. and you just chop it off. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. then you might hit the I'm not releasing that thing to try to have it come back for round two. No chance. Yeah, that's fair. All right, Cassie. Um, enjoy fighting your snakes off with your dogs. Uh, she's Cassie Thanks. Soto. We appreciate it. So, Cassie Soto of the Review Journal going to get an oil change, apparently, on her used Honda Civic. Um, all right, we got tickets to give away, too. If you want to go see Rob Zombie playing with Mudvayne and Power Man 5000 this Saturday at Michelob Ultra Arena, we got a pair of tickets for you. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you're caller number 9 right now at 702-364-1100, you'll win a pair of tickets to go see Rob Zombie this Saturday. So, we actually got... An update on Darren Waller from Josh McDaniels. Only took like two weeks of him not being at practice, but uh, Josh McDaniels did confirm that he has been out for an injury-related reason. So it's not a contract issue, it's an injury. And then Adam Schefter came in with the reporting that it's a hamstring injury that is not considered serious. Darren Waller told Paul Gutierrez last night at the Aces game that he expects to be back sometime next week. Uh, I'm glad that it took, you know, only two weeks of him missing practice for Josh McDaniels to say anything about it. Asked directly if it was injury related. He said he's working his way back. So still not really a totally straightforward <laughs> answer. But yeah, and I think what's worrisome, even though they're telling us not to worry, what is worrisome is we're talking about a soft tissue injury. Hamstrings are notoriously tricky. I say that as someone who has had bad hamstrings for most of my life. Like when you hurt it, it takes a long time for it to heal because there's just nothing you can do to encourage it, right? And it doesn't take much to re-injure it. So, yeah, I I think they're very smart to play it cautiously early here with Darren Waller if it's a hamstring. Are you telling me not to draft him in fantasy football? I'm telling you not to draft me in fantasy football is what I'm telling ah. you. Okay, you're still younger than Tom Brady, though, so... Yeah, um, and that is pretty much where the comparisons end between me and Tom. What about Jamie Moore? Are you younger than him? Uh, yeah, I'm younger than Jamie Moore. Come on. <laughs> okay, that's all good. All good. So there is your Darren Waller update, uh, which could have not had to have been an update if they had you know, mentioned, hey, guys, he's kind of hurt at the moment. Um one other Raiders player that has missed, I think we're going on two weeks, about the same timeline as Darren Waller, 
Uh, Cleveland Furl has not been at practice, didn't play in the preseason game. I don't think there's an expectation he's going to play in the preseason game this week either, um, unless I guess he comes back to practice today. Uh, is he going to make the team? What guarantee would you feel about that right now? There's just <sighs> no way that I feel like Cleveland Farrell is in any way guaranteed anything by a new administration and new coaching staff. Yeah. That's the problem for Cleveland Farrell. This is not the group that drafted him fourth overall. And I feel like it's it's unfair to Cleveland Farrell that we, that we continue to talk about that, but it's reality. He didn't deserve to be drafted fourth overall. He didn't ask to be drafted fourth overall, and yet he is going to be evaluated as the fourth overall pick yeah. for the rest of his life. He will, and it's you know it's it's the same. It's comparable to like Anthony Bennett when he got drafted one overall by the Cavaliers. That was in no way the expected number one overall pick in what was ultimately a really weak draft class. But that if Anthony Bennett ends up ended up going like eight or something like that, still wouldn't have looked back favorably on his NBA career. But it certainly wouldn't have been. Oh, what the hell was that number one pick? That's kind of what's happened to Cleveland Furl. The interesting part is. Who, who is it beyond Max Crosby and Chandler Jones that they're going to use as the sort of edge rushers in this 3-4 defense? And they lost Kyler Fackrell to injury. He's done for the year. He potentially was the number three guy there. Malcolm Kuntz has gotten a, a little bit of publicity in the offseason. But they, like, depth-wise, as ed, at edge rusher, they don't have much. Like, if Jones and Crosby are healthy the whole year, they'll be fine. But the idea that Jones and health, or Crosby will be healthy the entire year seems uh, a little optimistic and so it's going to be is Malcolm Kuntz good enough to be a number three edge rusher like is that going to be an issue for this team for this defense this year well I think the the bigger question is why are we looking at Cleveland Furl as an edge in a three four uh, that's that's probably fair <laughs> uh, right I, I, I mean we have to that's what we're being told to do right but the guy's skill set is in run stopping so unless that's the idea that he comes in on you know, on clear run situations, then I don't know why we would be counting on him as an edge player. It's okay. Here's what they're doing: they're combining Chandler Jones and Cleveland Farrell into one player. There you so go. Chandler, that actually Chandler makes Jones, a lot of sense. He's apparently, you know, his run stuffing, according to PFF, has dropped off the last couple of years, but his pass rushing is dropped still off. Excellent. Um, Cleveland Farrell, the one thing that he might do well is stop the run. So they're they're it's one player. Just pretend they're one player taking up two spots on a roster. It's been more than dropped off. Chandler yeah. Jones has been one of the worst rush defenders in the league on the edge. He was worse than Yannick Ngakwe. That's why Cleland Furl's here. He's going to fix Fair it. Enough. He's going to be okay. It's Cleland Furl, Chandler Jones. Just It's one player. You just smush them together. They're platooning. It's going to be great. Yes. <laughs> Platoon defensive end. When are we going to get that phrase in football? That phrase should be used more. We're platooning our defensive ends. It's a, good, it's a fun phrase. Never heard it in any other sport, only in baseball. Let's use it more.